Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello, welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Well... Coming towards the end of the season and things are playing out, we'll be talking about Newcastle, who've been relegated, the Pro 14 quarterfinal playoffs, plus we'll be looking ahead to the Champions Cup final and no doubt discussing the prospects of the Premiership clubs in securing top four or indeed grabbing a place in Europe. With me to discuss all this is The Telegraph's Charlie Morgan. Charlie, how are you, mate? Very well. Thanks for having me, Brian. Good man. Look, we'll be speaking to Tom May, ex-Newcastle, amongst others, in a moment. But Newcastle have gone down after last season when, frankly, they they dramatically overachieved. What what, what are your initial thoughts? I I think that's really important, first of all, to say that last year was a, a dramatic overachievement. And then on top of that, they've lost experienced players with a few retirements. I've seen them three times this this season: away at Leicester, away at Bristol, and away at Saracens. And it's and it's so it's become so boring this season to talk about fine margins because it's been a crazy season where just about everybody's been capable of beating beating anybody else. But in those three games, they could have easily won. You know, any in any of those. Well, away in several rooms. other games that I also watched, you know, all being yeah. on TV, it's been the same story. And when Dean Richards. The director would just talk about lack of accuracy. On the one hand, you could say, yeah, cool, that's quite a trite excuse, but that is the case. This year, they haven't been as accurate. Last year, things went well for them. They were better. Rather, the decisions went their way, and that has been a huge... I mean, it's been enough to turn around a place where they've qualified for Europe to where they've gone down, albeit... Their points total of 30 in all but, I think, four previous Premiership campaigns, they would have stayed up with that number. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and, and again, in, in all of those three games afterwards, as you say, Dean Richards just, he'd kind of lamented the chances they 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 didn't take. And if you look at that game against Gloucester the weekend, no, they had to get five points to to make Leicester sweat going to that last weekend. And they had scored three tries. They were on the edge of Gloucester's 22 at the weekend and Amar Nagusa throws an interception to, to Matt Banahan. That's exactly. the story of their season in you know in an instant. And it's um, just hasn't quite fallen. You know, that pick-and-go sequence against against Leicester where Guy Thompson got over to, to secure the turnover. Just small, small margins. They've been unlucky. They've been that last premiership side in the Champions Cup spot which has um, meant that their squad their thin squad has been stretched mm-hmm. and they've been unlucky with injuries but yeah I, I think they've probably got the resources to to bounce bounce back and it'll be interesting to talk to Tom about that later Yes we will do uh, let's start right at the top it was a funny game wasn't it Sarsons Exeter I actually thought that if either side was going to field 
for want of a better word, a phrase, weakened side. And neither of these teams have squads whereby you can say even a number of starters makes them have a weak 15, starting 15 on paper. Yet they did that this week rather than next week. I, I, I wonder about that. It made the game slightly odd. It's, I don't know, we say there's dress rehearsal for the Premiership final. There's not much you can, obviously not much you can tell because so many, so many of the personnel will be different if those two do get to the decider. But I think what it does show is just how, it's just such an endorsement of the way Saracens play and the way that that, continuity and kind of cohesion runs throughout their wider squad. I think their their A team turned over Northampton's A team 89-7 sort of previous earlier last week and that's just yeah I mean that's just underlining how well that cohesion spread throughout the squad Mark McCall I think spoke afterwards about how that w- that has been a majorly impressive aspect of that season how the wider squad have improved. Well you mentioned uh, Saints and their well, it's a big win, uh, 38-10 over Wissett guarantees that they've got Champions Cup action for next season. But this race for fourth still going to go down to the wire with Quinns. Mm-hmm. Now, they're away at uh, Exeter. Not an easy place to play. Quinns have got Wasps. Mm. Not an easy fixture, given the way in which both teams, well, throughout the season, have been notoriously uneven, shall we say. Both capable of winning, but what do you think will happen? Saints have just put on this late spurt whereby Chris Boyd's really got them click, click together. They, they look really good, probably from that game at Welford Road and maybe even slightly before that. He's he's just trusted youngsters. The way he's wanted to play has really settled. And I think it's probably, it sounds crazy to say, but it's probably the best time to play Exeter. They, just, they look like they're struggling for, it, it, it seems ridiculous to question their motivation, but they've, they've secured that home semi-final so early that they seem to be just drifting towards this kind of business end of the season. They do, but I would have thought that Rob Baxter will want in the final performance at home to send them you know, into the playoffs with a really positive attitude, with a good performance in front of the home crowd. And... They and Saracens, I've said time and again, are two of the teams that turn in a minimum standard of performance. You don't see them drop dramatically. They may not be fully on the metal every game, but there is a certain standard below which they don't drop. Yeah. But they, I mean, wasps have wasps have beaten them there. Then they've had this had this loss to Saracens. It's as I say, if you were going to pick a, a good time to play Exeter, this would be it. And, and Saints have finished strongly. Wasps, obviously hosting hosting Quins. They're struggling for consistency themselves, having having been turned over by Bath and Quinns have just they've they've had this slump and then they've come out the back of it with this win over Leicester. During that slump, their attack was really struggling. The defence throughout the season has been fantastic. Huge improvements under Paul Gustard, as you'd expect, given he's a test level uh, defence coach. They've got well, Joe. I'm not Mar- sure you can say fantastic. I think he's been a lot better. There you go. Yeah, fantastic improvement <laughs> on what on what, yes. the, on what he was on what was kind of being built on the previous season, last one uh, under John Kingston. But they've got Joe Marchant back now. They've got Danny Kerr back now and. Carl Sinclair was fantastic, not just in the, you know, he came back from a couple of early scrum Marler penalties on Friday. Marler's been good all season. been fantastic. And that, when, it, when he, you know, for him to retire from international rugby and then give his sole focus to the club game has just been such a big, such a big boost for them. He's been fantastic in the set piece, he's been fantastic around the field. He's, people forget how good he is at that one-on-one, one-on-one tackling. He's a really good defender. And as far as kind of gnarled kind of <laughs> scrummaging now, He's superb, so that's been a huge boost to have him uh, more readily available for them. 
Well, they did uh, turn over Leicester. It was closer than it might have been because of the uh, Leicester try and the dying mates. I mean, Wasps, I think they will still believe they've got an outside chance of a European spot. So it's not as if they haven't got anything to play for. But I often think the sides who have most to gain out of something, if you've got more riding on something, you tend to play better. Yeah, and Queens have got more riding on this. Yeah, there's a reason. There's a it sort of comes down to a reason to quit, right? Doesn't it? So Queens have got that that top. Although four, they that are playoff. away. Yeah, they've got that that playoff place to play for. As I say, their attack will be a little bit better for having Joe Marchant there. Wasps. It's just been such a strange season for them. In fits and starts, they've just really struggled to struggle for consistency. Limas of has struggled to settle, and then it's kind of all summed up. Well, they wait. Well, they wait all season for Jimmy Coppeth to come back, and he dislocates or breaks his thumb, I think, in his in his first game back. And he's just so important to play that second distributor. He's underrated defender too. I can see Quinn's uh, winning that one on the road, although it's, although it's away at the Rico. Well, why don't we now, uh, as we preface, talk to Tom May, former Newcastle fullback, amongst many other uh, clubs. He's, he's on the line now. Hello, Tom. Hi, how are we doing? OK, I mean, obviously desperately disappointing for Newcastle, their fans and everyone concerned, but they've made a statement that they are fully committed to bouncing straight back at the first attempt under Dean Richards and the confident... From your point of view, we've had our say. The difference between this season and last season. Oh, uh, look! I think I think last year they they managed to keep a lot of their big name players fit. Uh, there's been a lot of time that they were without the likes of Toby Flood, Nicky Gonover, Sinotti, Sinotti. But also, you know, they were missing Mark Wilson for for large periods of, of uh, the season. I think he's probably only played, I reckon, ten or eleven games for them. And he's and he's key and he's integral to how they have been playing. I think probably the Champions Cup was a bit of a distraction for them. Mm. And actually, I think Dean Richards he made one one selection choice. There was one game where he changed everyone, and it, and they lost, uh, and it almost changed the momentum of the of the season for them. And then it, it was a slippery slope to a, a lot of losses and um, back to back. So. Look, I don't think we've ever seen the, the, the Premiership as competitive as it is now. And if you look at the the way that Newcastle attacked Gloucester at the weekend, that, that try that they, they ran in from 80 metres out is a is a sign of how strong the league is. I think you know that's a side um, that they were taking on that are that are playing well in Gloucester, and and they ripped them to shreds. And 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 I think they've got the quality to do that. They just don't have the consistency. That is required. I 100% agree that they'll they'll bounce straight back up. I, I don't think I don't think the way English rugby is at the moment that that the championship is strong enough to to see them spend a second season in that in that league. Hi Tom, Charlie Morgan here. Uh, you mentioned the you mentioned the championship there at the top and the depth of quality in it. How would you see you know, teams like Jersey, Ealing, you know, potentially an ambitious side like Coventry, uh, push? How would you see them challenging Newcastle next season? I think. Listen, when when they all go up to the northeast, I think they'll struggle. Yeah. I think Newcastle at times will will run riot. There are some difficult trips in the in the championship, but I also don't think I don't think the likes of of Coventry Cornish Pirates maybe another one that would say you know they don't want the Premiership ring fence because they've got the intention to come up. Um, Ealing. <sighs> They're talking about it, and they have the ground to to do it apparently, um, and they and they're recruiting strongly. But you just have to look at what London Irish have done to this 
to this competition and and you and that actually year on year season on season the amount of time you spend out of that league when you come back to the premiership it's it's so far advanced from when you left it, it that was exactly the case when we we um regained promotion to the premiership with London Welsh mm. the, the 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 gap between when I left Northampton and went back with London Welsh was vast. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that's the problem. And it would, the, the whole thing of this yo-yo um, problem that we're seeing within sort of promotion and relegation, it doesn't go away because of, because of how quickly the Premiership is kicking on. You, you mentioned that, and I want to get your thoughts on the ring-fencing issue. I understand, and I fully, I fully get what people say about, oh, you know... The relegation battle is it's so key to the excitement of the season, and and in part I agree with that. But I, I think for the long-term good of English rugby, we certainly need a Premiership side in Northwest. We certainly need a Premiership side in the Northeast. And if you look at what Newcastle Falcons have done for for amateur and and the growth of rugby in that area of the country over the past. 10, 15 years, it's done an enormous amount. So for them to be in a position where they're going up and down, I don't think is healthy. Um, but also, I think I think we're starting to kid ourselves that that actually there is anyone else going to be coming up from the championship aside from the team that gets relegated. Well, there's also the fact that they have to do it every year. You know, it's a one-year hit each year. They can't plan for two, three years' time, which is what I've advocated. Not completely ring-fencing in perpetuity, but just saying, whether it's two years, four years, three years, and agreed a time, but each year they have to try and get it right, sufficient to come up. They can't yeah. stage and plan their recruitment. They can't bring youngsters on because every year it's a one-off and it's the same for people who are going down in the premiership. They have to scrabble around, can't do the same in their, for with their academies and so on. And the fact is, in rugby, we do not have enough money to burn from billionaires no. on clubs that aren't going to to be able to do this. It's a, it's a nonsense to me. And the I've still yet to hear from what I call the romantics, the people who say, you must have seamless relegation and promotion. I've still yet to hear them put forward a cogent case about why this should continue and the problems that are going to occur and they will occur fairly soon when some of the club owners and another London Irish club owner very well, Mick Crossan was close to saying, I'm not doing it anymore I'm, j I'm not yeah. that wealthy I can't lose this money and I'm off Yeah, no one could begrudge them that if they that was their decision, could they? You know, after the, no. after the problems that, that, that they're, they're having to face I think a much better system would be to say, do you know what? Okay, you finish top of the championship, you play off against the bottom team in the in the Premiership, and let's see how that goes. Home and away, maybe. Yes, and and and, and let's see how that progresses. So they do that in France. The bottom team in France is relegated, and the top team in in the Pro D2 go up, and then the, I think it's uh, Agen this year, our second bottom, and they'll they'll play off against the, the team that finished second in the in the Pro D2. Now. The French system is is slightly better. They've got two strong professional leagues, but but at the moment we don't we don't have that strength in depth in terms of the in, in terms of two tiers. So I, I think it has to be looked at, and we're missing one fully professional outfit year in year out. 
they're having almost a, a year where they're just going, well, OK, let's count down the days until we're back in the Premiership. Yeah, well, I agree, Tom, but um, uh, lots of people don't agree. Anyway, it's great to speak to you again. Thanks very much. Thank you. Why don't we turn our attentions to Pro 14? We'll be quarterfinals this weekend. There were two. Munster scraped through, and they did scrape through, 15-13 against Benetton. Ulster, Connaught, Ulster 21, Connaught 13, which means they go on to face Glasgow, Munster up against Leinster in the semi-finals. What did you make of what have you made of Bennett on this season? And um, uh, well, it was a, a last gasp victory for Munster. They they almost got there. They they possibly deserve to. Yeah, I've been hugely impressed by Benetton. I think Conor O'Shea, a couple of years ago at the Six Nations launch, was talking about how it would have been a real triumph for an Italian, one of the Italian franchises, to to get a place in this Champions Cup on merit, and they've done so, which has been fantastic. There's a really good article on a Telegraph website by my colleague Ben Coles about an interview with uh, Kieran Crowley and how he's gone about kind of transforming Benetton's fortunes. The, the kind of main theme of that seems to be that Crowley's sorted out the medical support and the, and the conditioning, and he's He's kind of part of his remit has been to promote young, inexperienced Italian coaches, which is fantastic for the sustainability. And I'm sure Conor, Conor O'Shea will be kind of thanking him for that. But they've had, you know, this this stardust Monte Iwani, I think, is a top top offloader in the, in the league, and they were unlucky at the weekend. You know that. But you know, we've talked about we talked about missed chances earlier in the in the Premiership. I don't think they'll ever get a better chance to turn over Munster. You know, ser- seriously unlucky there. Ulster also have been fantastic. You know, it's been in what's meant to have been sort of a, a year of consolidation for them and sort of re- rebirth. I guess they've they've been really impressive. Um, been really impressed with Billy Burns. Marcel Kurt, Marcel Kurtzier has been fantastic. Dan McFarlane has made this immediate immediate impact. And I think we'll get on to the champions. Cup later, obviously, but Ulster's Ulster's quarterfinal against Leinster. I can't, you know. I think as far as talk about Test match intensity, that's a cliche we use for these big European clashes. But that was that was awesome, and that's probably the highest level club. Well, game, Rory so. Best and Darren Cave, they're um, going at the end of the season. I mean, Cave was very candid. He said, "Look, one thing Rory and I are trying to say is, look, it's not just about us. You know, don't win, try for next year. Make make next year the one where you you're going for two in a row. And I think that's an important uh, point that they make. He makes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they've set out their stall to build on on this impressive year, sort of. And and it seems like everything they get now, having made a Champions Cup quarter final, having made the Pro 14 semi final now, anything else they get now is a bonus. But they're absolutely in an even better place. That's I think what's yeah. Cave saying to push on next season. Mentioned Kieran Crowley, he won the Pro 14 Coach of the Year with Benetton. Let's look at the other awards. Players Player of the Year, Edinburgh's Bill Matter. It's interesting because for all the Irish successes, a lot of Scottish winners. Uh, he was accompanied by the Pro 14 Chairman's Award, Ross Ford of Edinburgh as well. Deserved. Yeah, Both I think them. so. Bill, oh, Bill Matter. Bill Matter's been just fantastic to watch. I think he's part of. We talk about how any any team that's coached by Richard Cockrell is just going to cut their cloth to how the, to the best players and make sure their best players get get most time on the ball and the best is made of them because any Richard Cockrell side is going to be worth at least as much as the sum of its parts. And I think Bill Matter's averaging twenty carries a, a game. Which just goes to show how how the inventive ways they've got him on the ball. You know they've they would have teamed him up in back rows with really kind of you know look at Jamie Ritchie, uh, Hamish Watson, obviously John Barkley's fit now for well was fit for the back end. So that just goes to show how how Cockrell's got the best out of his weapons and Bill Matters just it, you know, I think Cockrell well. in the end he'll have been really disappointed. I know Richard very well, obviously, and played against him for his career as a uh, player and 
Hey, coach, he's not a nearly man, doesn't like, you know, he, uh, he's of the, I'm sure he's of the opinion you might as well be a long way away as very, very close. Um, and I, I think he will be very frustrated this season. The Munster game would have, would have stung him really yeah. hard, I think, given how they qualified, given given how strong they look, given that they deservedly had a, had a home had home advantage there and for it to just fall away and they just didn't really fire a shot in that, in that second half, that will really, really hurt him, I think. Talk about another award, Next Generation Star of the season at Pro 14, Adam Hastings of Glasgow, famous uh, famous uh, father and so on, but Finn Russell in the way. Now, a lot of people have been telling me they think he can be better than Finn Russell, and if he is, then he's going to be one hell of a player. But Russell, barring injury, barring complete lack of form, he's going to be around for at least a reasonable while. So what does Hastings do? Does he mark time and just compete like for like? Does he try and say, look, I'm a utility player, which he can be, try and get him in that way? What do you think is he, are his best prospects, both for Glasgow and Scotland? How will they use him? I think I think they, they tried them both in, in the midfield to get it in. It didn't quite, it was just, didn't quite work. They're probably, probably too similar, to be honest. I think... If, if Adam Hastings can develop under Dave Rennie, Dave Rennie's the one who's been making this noise about him being potentially better than Finn Russell. And this is a guy in Dave Rennie who's overseen Aaron Cruden, who was before he went, you know, before he went off to France, and it's not quite worked out for him in France. He's a superb player, brilliant, brilliant playmaker for the Chiefs. Now, Adam Hastings at the age, obviously, where defences won't, won't perhaps be quite aware to his strengths quite yet. It might take him a while, maybe next next season might be more difficult for him as, as, as kind of defence coaches work out kind of um, foolproof plans for him. But as far as raw materials, his distribution is fantastic. And that's a great start, you know. And, um, and given how Rennie wants to play... That's only going to stand him in good stead because he's going to have a he's going to have a chance to use those tools. What's what's really important is that he gets these these semi-finals, these big European games, you know, knockout rugby, for to hone hone his skills in those environments, trust his skills in in those environments, and also just to build that build that temperament up. Because if you look at someone like Owen Farrell, totally different players, obviously, but Owen Farrell's been exposed to these high stakes games from so early on in his career, and we can see that now how that's manifested itself. He's just so used to that pressure, and he was sort of saving his best rugby for. And I thought Owen Farrell's probably one of Owen Farrell's best games of this season was was the semi final against Munster. He just looked so composed and had so much poise about him in that in that environment. Well, of course, the um, Premiership have their uh, awards. Some of the RPA have theirs. Let's discuss some of the nominees, shall we, in the English game. The RPA Players Player of the Year. The nominees are Danny Cipriani, Santiago Cadero, Faf de Klerk, Kubus Reinach and Henry Slade. Where would your money go? I suppose we've got to say these will be our picks rather than who we think the yeah. players will pick. Rather, rather than the people that have been playing against them. I'd, do you know what? I'd go with I'd go with who has probably elevated their sides most. Kind of, and you and you look at somebody like Danny Cipriani and Kobus Reinick. They've brought they've been the standout players in two sides that have come from the outside into the playoff picture. I always this is always really interesting because the questions that people will ask you a lot will be who are you, who was your most feared opponents and if you look these are effectively the most feared opponents in the league and they're not they're not big men they're all guys that a lot of them fantastic look Santiago Cordero has made so many defenders look just absolutely stupid this yeah. season he's been he's been an awesome kind of addition to that Chiefs team just giving them that extra dimension it's really interesting talk about targeted recruitment he's going out he's off to France so they're bringing in Stuart Hogg almost as like for like pretty much as you as you can find I've, I've been 
I just I've loved the way Chris Boyd's Saints have gone about things and Kobe Shrinak has been fantastic in that those just really deadly support lines whenever there's been an offload or a half break from Saints he seems to have been there scored a mountain of tries Cipriani I think has been has been effective in a different way because I think he's just taken hold so comprehensively of how a team are playing he's taken Gloucester he's given them that just the the way people talk about Cipriani as a maverick is just dead he's 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 about precision. He's about accuracy, and he's about imparting a, imparting a strategy. That's that's what sets him apart. And we've just seen that just laid bare in how Gloucester have improved. That Gloucester have got awesome um, back five forwards, and they've they're just loaded with heavy men, heavy carriers. But it's Cipriani's precision that's made them more effective. Of course, Faf de Klerk's been doing it internationally and at club, but I think this award's going to be based on club form. Probably, if I had to choose one, I think Reinach. He's made he and um, you know his his partner uh, halfback. This is the one thing that Northampton to me have been. I've said this for a long time. They've missed a really good dominant pair of halfbacks. Mm. They've had one or the other in or out, but they never had that for for a long time. He along with Bigger has made a huge difference. So I will plump for that one. Oh, he's gone to San Lam Young Player of the Year. The nominees: Joe Thocker Senior, Tom Curry. Seems interesting to have him as a as a young player, but you've got to remind yourself he is. He's uh, you know, very he's eligible young. for it for the next three. Very seasons, young still. Yeah. Alex Dombrandt. Uh, a good season with Rory Hutchinson and then Ollie Thorley I think Thocker Senior he's probably going to get this because he's a star yep yeah it's fair to say the other, the other guys have been just all of them breath of fresh air uh, Ollie Thorley's the amount of the amount of commitment per carry in Ollie Thorley's game is is just it can't help but bring a bring a smile to your face Rory Hutchinson's been completely kind of emblematic of that feel-good factor that we've been talking about at Saints. He's actually behind another young centre in, in Fraser Dingwall, so that just go, goes to show how boys promoted promoted youth. And, and we've talked about kind of hot steppers and um, eye-catching back play for most of this segment, but Alex Dombrant's just been, he's been kind of just that burly character, you know, a bit of, bit of nastiness about him in, in the contact area that, that Quinn's have, have potentially been missing for a little while. Mm. And he's, you know, he's a great story. Come from, come from university rugby, and just, and just thrived in the Premiership. He's been brilliant. So, a word about Tom Curry. I, I am amazed at Tom Curry's power at his age. Yeah. Nothing he can do about the fact that he's going to be stronger in four years' time. That's just the way maturation and physiques develop. And yet, even at international level, he's he's surviving. And I was not certainly would do but he's doing creditably not just in the tackle but in the carry as well if he develops as he should do free of injury then you've got what is a very good player potentially will be an exceptional player mm. it, it sounds it sounds strange to say this but it, even in such a short time it's been a, it's been a gradual process for him because he was exposed so young so even if you look at this season he um, sorry slight to the end of last season so that, look at that South Africa series he's probably living off his wits more than you know and he wasn't his bulk and his strength what wasn't able to get him out of trouble when he so he's getting blasted away from breakdowns in in the autumn he got injured early on in that South Africa game but he came back for the Six Nations and he just looked so dynamic and so much more powerful and I remember talking to Paul Gustard about him a couple of seasons ago I think and he said you know this is part of a new breed of play he's just bought a new house and one of the rooms isn't a PlayStation room it's a room where he does his stretches and he does his weights and he does his he does his little extras to make sure his body's absolutely prime this is this is and Paul Gus I was sort of laughing and this is 
this is not even my era, you know. This is this is alien to me. This is this is a new level of diligence, and 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 Tom Curry's absolutely kind of thriving with that with that diligence. His tussle with and it was it was an awful game, shocking game, but his tussle with Sam Underhill was just really interesting. Yeah. Two really young guys, two amazing, to be honest, physical physical specimens and athletes, and they're gonna you know either go together in that England back row or or, or compete for that same spot for a long time. Let's uh, just mention two or three other things. A fact of the week, courtesy of Nick Heath, the Army and Navy fixtures where the bars at Twickenham reportedly sell more beer in one day than across all the Six Nations put together. You heard that much? Is that true? It was, if you could imagine, one <laughs> one row, one rung less rowdy than the London Sevens, probably. Oh, still a lot of fun, I think. Fair enough. Kepu, 103 caps for Australia, is going to London Irish. Yeah, just a, a kind of a, a real kind of example of the spending clout that the Premiership clubs have now. I can't see how that's going to be anything other than a good, effective, influential signing. Uh, Willie Rue, one of a number of players uh, leaving, what's going to be missed? Big, good to Japan, obviously taking the money, which you can't blame him for. Like no, a big trend now, and, and absolutely, what I can't blame him for that. Hello, I'm Tom Gibbs, here to tell you that there are lots of superb podcasts from The Telegraph, particularly mine. Audio Football Club comes out every Monday afternoon and gives you a full debrief on the week's action, both in the Premier League and abroad. A panel of experts from The Telegraph's undefeated sports desk join me to discuss the best and worst that the world of football has to offer. Audio Football Club from The Telegraph, available wherever you get your podcasts. Time now to turn our attention to the big one. It's the Champions Cup final. To get an Irish perspective or just a good rugby perspective from someone who knows, we're going to now speak to the former Leinster hooker, Bernard Jackman, who's on the line. Hello, Bernard. Hi, Brian. Of the two sides, I would think it's probably right to say Saracens have been more consistent this season. But Leinster, with their pedigree, with their players, coming into a little bit of form. How do you, how do you see this playing out? I fancied Leinster to to retain the the trophy probably early on in the season. I thought they had a, a a pretty good group stage, but obviously messed up away to Toulouse. But we can see now that that's that form is um, isn't too bad. Toulouse put eighty points on on pole yesterday, and you know they're they're starting to get their their attacking game back. But then Leinster weren't great in the quarter final against Ulster. There was a hangover from the Irish underperformance in the Six Nations and then I was just blown away by Saracen's performance against Munster um, I think Munster went in 12-9 down at half time but you know it was a miracle it was probably the most comprehensive uh, performance I'd seen and the problem was Munster turned up but just physically they just couldn't stop um, the, the Saracen's ball carriers and and then the second half, we j- I just saw a bench, you know, a bench that was so strong with the likes of, of Vincent Kosh, Will Skelton, uh, Schalkberger, Richard Wigglesworth, Alex Lewington coming on, and uh, you know, I just went, wow, that team, that team are going to take some beating, and I still believe that. But Leinster were better uh, against Blues, and I think you know, probably the fact that Leinster had so many players in Ireland uh, who didn't really perform well. There's a real opportunity for them to finish the season uh, on a high. So uh, they've also had the weekend to recover and rest. They didn't play in the in the Pro 14 weekend because they'd already qualified for a home semi-final. So uh, I do think Leinster will go to Newcastle this weekend and put their best foot forward. And I think you know on on their day they can beat anybody. But I do agree with you. Saracens have shown probably a little bit more this season, particularly in terms of absolute power and um, as you know in, in rugby you know if you can win if you can out, outmatch the opposition on the game line you have a great chance of winning well I'm sure Charlie will have uh, 
Uh, some questions for you about some of the head-to-heads because they're all over the team sheets. But I want to pick one that might not necessarily catch the eye, and that's the ones in the scrum half because Spencer has been tremendous this year for Sassons. It might keep someone as experienced as Wigglesworth on the bench. And Luke McGrath has been playing well. I, and I, I don't know who will win that, but I think... The winner, may, may, that may well go a long way to deciding the fortunes of the teams ultimately. How do you see that battle going? Yeah, I think Spencer's been, uh, been exceptional. And, you know, they, they had two players who shared responsibility uh, for a long time. And he's just come in. And he looks to be, for me, uh, he looks to be a nice combination of both Wigglesworth and, and the South African, whose name escapes me at the moment. A nice combination of both their games. So he's got a nice running game. He's got a good kicking game. Uh, and Luke McGrath is a, is a quality player uh, very important for Leinster because of the, the foreign player rule Leinster have to pick two out of three between James Lowe Scott Fardy and Jamie Gibson Park and it looks like they're going to leave Gibson Park out so that will put massive pressure on McGrath to probably play 80 minutes um, he's a very promising player very good leader captain Leinster on occasions probably has had an injury uh, stri- stricken season as well so he probably hasn't hit the heights of, of Spencer so that's definitely a very interesting matchup and, and a matchup on form you would say Spencer you know is more likely to have a big game Hi Bernard's Charlie here there's there's three more head-to-heads featuring okay. five five British and Irish Lions and, and one British and Irish Lion to be in James Ryan Maratoja yeah. versus James Ryan Owen Farrell versus Johnny Sexton and Mako Vodipola versus Tyg Furlong which one's your favourite? They're all pretty mouth-watering. Oof. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing um, James Ryan and Atoje. James Ryan is a phenomenal player. He's, he's only lost five or six professional games ever. Uh, <laughs> no, I, honestly, he came into the, he came into the Leinster team. Yeah, he came into the Leinster team when they were consistently winning. Then he broke into Ireland. Uh, he actually played for Ireland before he played for Leinster. That's how highly regarded he was in school. In Ireland, they say he can become the captain of Ireland. Very mature young man. I and mean, he's up against a, an incredible player in a Toje. So I think he's going to relish that, that opportunity. I thought Toje in the, you know, in the, in the, in the quarterfinal against Munster was exceptional, as was Cruz. Uh, so Devon Toner and Ryan have a huge task to make sure that they can not just win set-piece ball, but also stand up to those two men around the pitch. Because they, for me, they're real enforcers for... For Saracen, some of their cleanouts are, you know, are, are boarding on on violence, but they they are effective, and particularly with the referee, you know, Gar says who he he let a lot of stuff go against uh, in that in that quarter final. So I think both teams are going to test out how lenient he'll be at the breakdown and make sure that they win that race and get you know lighting quick ball for for their back lines. Uh, Matt Cohen against Tyg is is going to be phenomenal as well. You know, both are big ball carriers. Tiger's had a quieter season, to be honest, than uh, like lots of the Irish players. Than he, you know, he had when he when he was, I suppose, the test player for the Lions. Whereas Mako, I think, has even got better. So, you know, I'm looking back to the first round of the Six Nations when Mako made, I think, 28 tackles in 60 minutes against against Ireland, and he's really got himself in good shape. And uh, that's going to be, a, you know, another fascinating battle. Bernard, always good to speak to you, mate. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Bye, bye. Let's just uh, have some closing thoughts on the Champions Cup. I mean, if Saracens replicate their Munster form, they're going to be really difficult to stop. But Leinster, they have the pedigree, they have the quality of players, they have the depth, they have the experience as well. If anyone can stop that, they probably possibly can, which makes it difficult to call. You know, I think it's very important that this is on a genuinely neutral venue. Mm. Although, you know, there will be more Irish supporters there because they're travelling greater numbers than the Saris. You know, if it was anywhere 
around uh, Dublin, uh, anywhere else, you might think, I might think that that tilted it in favour of Leinster. I think, for me, Saracens are slight favourites. Yeah, I, I, I agree with Bernard there. I, I thought Leinster came out of the blocks in this tournament and, and looked pretty as close to unbeatable as, as you can in, in, in that competition. They blew away a Wasp side by 50 points and Wasp didn't even defend that badly. Tom, Thomas Young was fantastic in that game, derailed a load of attacks at the breakdown, but they're just their variety of their game was, was amazing, really. I think what these two sides are, are similar in the respect that they're easily the most versatile sides in the, in the competition. They can figure out different ways of, of, of beating sides. If we look at the Saracens' performance against Munster, they had to be patient in attack. You know, they, they kept the ball for long periods, which isn't something we actually necessarily associate with, with Saracens. They sort of went through about three different ways of playing. They had the kicking game at the start and, and just it sums up the intelligence of their, intelligence of their coaching staff that Alexander Sinter said, oh yeah, we kicked a lot at the beginning because we didn't want Munster to get emotional energy from defensive sets and turnovers. And I just thought, wow, that's, that's the level of thinking that's going on there. You just hope they don't cancel each other out and it's sort of a, you know, a 9-9. But I just think there's too many dynamic players on the pitch for that to happen, especially in the, in the two packs. You've got guys like Mario Toji, like Billy Vanipola, who've potentially had, well, slightly, you know, because of injuries as well, but slightly quieter years, and just coming coming into some amazing What, what do you think about the contests further out, centres, back three? Centres, a lot depends on how, not just whether Brad, per- Brad Barrett's fit to start, but how fit he is because so much goes through him. He's such a keynote carrier, brilliant defender for them, such an organiser and a kind of almost a totem for Saracens. And and Robbie Henshaw, again, we're talking about Irish guys on the back of quiet seasons. Injuries sort of made this a really stop-start season for him, but he was he was really good against Toulouse. So much so much good came through him. And, and you know, every time I get to speak about Gary Ringrose, I'll big him up. I think he's brilliant. He's such a diligent, intelligent player. Mate, potentially a big opportunity for Alex Zofsky to show he's been slightly kind of disregarded by England, I think. Had that chance against Japan and, and maybe didn't quite take it as well as he would have done. This is a big stage for him. Everywhere around the pitch, look at the fullbacks. You know, Rob Carney and Alex Good, two as classy players as you'll get at, at club level. It's going to be brilliant. It's going to be really good. Well, that's all we have time for on this week's Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Thank you to my co-host, Charlie Morgan, and to my producer, Abby Patterson. Please do subscribe to the podcast, leave a review if you haven't done already. But for now, it's goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 